This is the Out of Water Podcast. Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Caston-Smith, and I will be your host. Joining me today is Will Bushman, our Director of Student Ministries. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's back. The, the sound effects are making a, making another appearance today. It's so, a little more appropriate for yeah. this round. Yeah. So we're coming off of Will's birthday was celebrated on Sunday before before we recorded this. His daughter was baptized. You've had a banner a couple of days. It's been a big, big weekend. It was fun. That's pretty awesome. So today we're jumping into Genesis chapter 26. Um, just to kind of recap where we are, Abraham passed away last week, uh, Genesis 25, and we have the birth of Jacob and Esau. And Genesis 24, Isaac has found a bride, Rebecca, who is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. She's a virgin. She's a person of great character. She's charitable and kind. We know all that about her. And we also know that she too, like her mother-in-law, was barren. And so they suffered for 20 years praying for God to del- to give them a baby, and so he does. And so now you have Isaac who is beginning his life. He is now the lead patriarch now that his father Abraham is gone. And and you're left wondering, because remember the promise is that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the snake. And then Abraham receives the promise that his seed is going to bless all the nations, but it doesn't specify how long or what the seed's going to look like or what they're, you know, so is it Isaac or is it going to be Jacob or Esau? You know, and so every time you have another generation coming in the moment, you have to be thinking, they're wondering, is this it? Is the salvation of humanity coming soon? And so what you see, here's Isaac, who's now stepping into the shoes of Abraham. And in Genesis 26, you see that God ordains Isaac's story to be kind of bizarrely similar to Abraham's life. Like he goes through a lot of the same trials. Yeah, and do you think that's even the Bible showing us that Isaac is in this role now? Yeah, I think it's it's telling us that the same story, the same expectations now come to the next generation. So Abraham had, you know, the promise of God, but no doubt that came with, you know, I, I now have, I shoulder in some sense that promise. It's going to come through me. And so... There's an obedience to follow after him to to bring about that promise that God's going to do regardless. But he uses his people to do that. And now Isaac is in the driver's chair in some sense. Yeah, that must be kind of stressful. I never thought about it from even the child of promise. I mean, that's a big mm-hmm. kind of title to take as yeah. a boy and coming into manhood. Then your father passes away and you're kind of trying to figure all this out. And mm-hmm. it, and like you were saying, like, oh, man, is this going to happen in my lifetime? Or mm-hmm. And then who you marry really matters because they're going to raise up the next child of promise. Yeah. Generation after generation, you never think about it from that perspective. Yeah. And what does it mean to be me? So it's like, I I really do wonder like this, this might get into heretical territory, (laughs) but 
Is, is there a moment in Isaac's life where he's like, I wonder if that promise that God gave to dad is about me? Like, am I the one who's supposed to be blessing the nations? Yeah. Um, or, you know, does Jacob then think that? Or Jacob's sons, like, there's, there's this understanding that the future of this family is going to bless all the nations on the face of the earth. And they, they, you got to imagine that they're wondering, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder if it's me. Like, do they have savior complexes going yeah. on? That would be kind of weird. And how early do you tell your son that like, you're the child of the promise, yeah. big guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it depends on his personality. Like at 13, that would have been a monster. <laughs> <laughs> but at a minimum, what's going on is you have the pressure that you've got to continue the family line. Yeah. Like and it, for it, them, just like, producing children yeah that's rather difficult yeah right it seems like everybody's barren it just it runs in this life and the reason for that is god is deliberately putting that in front of them to train them up to believe that he's a god who keeps his promise even when the circumstances Hmm. don't look like he will and so he's he taught abraham that over the course of more than a century before abraham really got it and trusted in the power of resurrection And so now Isaac's coming into it, and he's going to deal with a lot of this very same things that Abraham had to deal with because God is teaching him the very same lessons. This marks the people of God, the family of God, believe in the power of God to overcome death with life, and so all of them get trained up to believe that. It's all pointing you to the power of a God of resurrection. And so starting in Genesis 26. Yeah, now we kind of get this. Because it seemed like we almost were going to skip Isaac last week. Mm-hmm. Like we got down to his sons. We're like, okay, we're going to roll with this narrative. But now yeah. the Bible kind of backtracks. And like, okay, here's Isaac. Yeah, I realize Isaac of of all the different patriarchs. You know, he's he's. You, you really get the sense that he's really just like right. You know, we go from Abraham to where it's talking about Esau and Jacob and who's going to get the birthright and Esau's selling it for a bowl of lentil stew. And you're like, wait a minute, what happened to Isaac? And now all of a sudden it's going, okay, let's go back to Isaac for a moment. And we jump in at verse one and it says, now there was a famine in the land. Well, this takes you, the echo of this takes you all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. When, when God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, leave your land, leave all your household and their gods and, you know, the fertility God that you've been worshiping and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Abraham's like, hooray, I've got a God who's promising me many children and a great land. And he gets there and his wife is still barren and the land is mm-hmm. barren. It's in famine in Genesis 12. And we remember, what does he do? He runs down to Egypt. Gets in all kinds of trouble, gets Hagar, who's going to become the mother of Ishmael. You know, he's not the model husband here. But the same story is being set up for Isaac. Now it says there was a famine in the land, and your ear should be going, man, again? This is another generation. They get a lot of famines. But it, it makes it a point to say besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And you were commenting before we started recording that it's like the Bible wants you to get there's a pattern coming. Yeah. It's like focus on this, like yeah, but it's not the same one. It's mm-hmm. going to be so similar, and all the events of it are so similar. But it wants to specify it's not the same one, and so it says Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Now this is also a familiar character in the scripture. Uh, if you remember, there is a, a story involving Abimelech, which is a title. It literally, you know, Abba, you know, and and yeah. when we pray Abba, Father. Abba literally means father. And so this is the combination of two Hebrew words, Abba and Malek, which is king. And so it's, it literally is a, a title. It's you know like a prince title. My father is king is what it means. 
So Abimelech and Abraham's time, or at least the person who held that office, Abraham told his wife to go into his harem and said, tell him, you know, tell him you're my sister and not my wife because I don't want them to kill me. You know, the people of this region are so wicked. And so he sends him into, sends Sarah into Abimelech's harem. And then Abimelech comes out and is like, what are you doing to me? Like, I would never have done that. And it turns out Abraham is the one with egg all over his face. Well, now Isaac is in that same king, the same land, And it says, and the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, here comes the the most important blessing, and in your offspring, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so this is the moment Isaac realizes, okay, for sure, it's not me. It's going to be through my offspring that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And it's like, he did? Yeah. Yeah. Not perfectly, for sure. Yeah, so God sees Abraham as righteous, which is interesting. And so one of the other things that's interesting here is when it says offspring, when we hear offspring or seed, some translations say, through your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed, a lot of people will jump and say, okay, well, that's talking about the Israelites. But the Hebrew word behind that is singular, so it's, it's referring to your offspring singular, meaning in all likelihood, one person. Yeah, like a descendant. A descendant that's among your offspring is going to bless all the nations of the world. So this isn't talking generally of the Hebrews, of, hmm. of the people that are coming forth. And by the way, Isaac is going to bring forth the Edomites as well, right? He's yeah. not, his descendants aren't only the Jews. Esau will bring about the Edomites, which definitely are not going to be a blessing to the nations. Um, and so there's just a lot going on here. Isaac is facing a famine, just like Abraham. Yeah, He's faced with a temptation to go down to Egypt, just like Abraham. God comes and says, no, 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 I don't want you to go. Then God comes and says all the same promises. I'm going to give you a ton of descendants. I'm going to make a great nation of you. Uh, they're going to be like the stars of the heavens. For Abraham, it was the sands of the, the shore. Um, and then he says, I'm going to bless all nations on earth through you. So this is all echoes of what God had done for Abraham. Mm-hmm. And then it says, like, this is really, like, I don't, I don't know that I have a set way of viewing this, but when God says, that he's doing all of this because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statute, and my laws. How do you feel about that? I don't know. <laughs> now that you're making me think about it. I mean, that's a pretty big claim. I mean, it doesn't say he kept all my commandments and everything else, but it it's basically getting down to the fact that you can now do this. Even though I'm sovereign and I'm the one who makes the promise and I'm going to fulfill it unilaterally and it's all on me, it's like because Abraham carried on the line, because he followed by faith, because he was a willing vessel in my story, yeah. now the story continues with you. And so you see it's it's still a covenant of grace where it's all God who's keeping the promise, and yet he's saying, 
I'm using willing vessels to carry this out. It is cool that the human agency isn't negated just because God will make happen what he is going to make happen that Mm -hmm. he promised. Like there's still a huge role to play in like Abraham leaving his homeland. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about the church, like God, if God wanted to save all of humanity without us, he could do it. I mean, he saves people through dreams and, you know, you hear those stories coming out of the Middle East. But there is very much like when Jesus leaves, he says, I'm going to use my church to go to every nation under heaven and to teach them to obey the things that I command them and to baptize them. And so it's not like Jesus is saying, well, it's not just me doing it. You know what I mean? It's like it's still all him, but it's him empowering his people to carry out this story. And so when he's saying, hey, this story is continuing on, because Abraham allowed me mm. to work through him. And so there's there's a, you know, when you're obedient, you don't say, I did it. You know, it's the spirit in you that's yeah. empowering you to obey. So it's still all God. Like even the sanctification is God empowering you to die to self. It's like the only thing you bring to the table is a willingness to die that God gives you, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it is a beautiful invitation from God. Yeah. Because like he doesn't have to do that. It seems much harder this way to involve our sinful selves. But he's saying like, no, you've been created to do a good work and I'm going to see it through, but mm-hmm. I, I want you to be a part of it. I'm inviting you to be a part of it. I care for you to be a part of it. I mean, that's his heart from the beginning. I mean, you go back to creation. Uh, go back to Genesis chapter two and it says, you know, God creates the world and then he makes a garden. He places man and woman in the garden And then, you know, here comes the command, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it, which means the rest of the earth outside of the garden is not subdued, Hmm. but God has given them kind of a starter kit of the Garden of Eden, (laughs) and he says, hey, this is really beautiful, here's my design, now take it to the ends of the earth, right? And so even from the beginning before the fall, God is saying, I want you to have a creative role alongside me to bring about my beauty to the ends of the earth. And that's still God's heart for his people. It was God's heart for Abraham. Hey, I'm giving you a little bit of a starter kit. I'm going to show you what it's like to walk by faith. And I want you to take that kind of a covenant and I want you to spread it out all over the world. The early church, same thing. Like God gives us the, the mustard seed of faith, the power of the gospel for salvation, and he allows us to create new gardens in our heart where before it was a wasteland. And he's saying, I want you to take that garden, that, you know, that pattern, that design of God, and I want you to take it out to the wilderness, to this earth that's totally not subdued, <laughs> that is a wild place that's in darkness, and I want you to take the light, the design of God, and I want you to spread it out all over the world. And so from the beginning, as you're talking about, God has a design. He could snap his fingers and make the whole earth the Garden of Eden, but he chooses not to because he wants us to share in his creative role. That's who he is. He's, he's a God who wants to share glory. We don't, we don't earn any of the glory, but the scriptures say that he's such a good and humble God mm-hmm. that he wants to share the role with us. Yeah, the Bible does give us crazy titles, like we co-reign with Christ, that kind of what? stuff. And you're like, yeah. that's that shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work like yeah. that. Like, you yeah. don't want me co-reigning with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we can barely co-host this podcast, for goodness really sake. true. Like, you look at our resumes, and it's like, no, we're disqualified. Yeah, then you see and, like co-reign with Christ. You're like, 
Yeah, he said it. We're going to judge angels. You know, we're we're going to be called the sons and daughters of God. We are a royal priesthood of heaven. Like this, just the crazy titles we get. That shows heart. you that, yeah, that God placed our identity, not that our identity is based off what we do. Because if not. God yeah. couldn't say that about us, honestly, or yeah. we couldn't say that about each other, honestly. Yeah, any person who goes to the God of the universe and says, "Yeah, you're lucky to have me. Look <laughs> at my resume," they're totally <laughs> delusional. You know? That? Yeah, that's that's how Waco, Texas happens. <laughs> yeah, Dave, that's David. Correct. I watched another. Yeah, yeah, Will watched watched a special on the cults. He's getting ideas, folks. <laughs> Beware. <laughs> no, it's just weird to have been birthed after all this stuff and realize, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. It is, but you and people like you were saying, people to this day who still believe he's the Messiah. Yeah, they're They're waiting for him to come back apparently and like fight against the U.S. government or whatever it was. You guys had good stuff in the eighties and (laughs) nineties. Yeah, my generation had you know even before me, we we did cults well. Yeah, like crushing it out there. Now I'll just say your generation's cults are now mainstream. There we still have cults, but it's now just the general culture. That's true. <laughs> it's it's wild. There's no communes, just TikTok is its oh, its own good commune. Grief. I mean, you look at what is just lifted up as kind of the liturgy of our society and it's all just insanity. Anyway, that could get us down yeah. a wild tangent. It's a different podcast. <laughs> which we may need to do soon. Uh but but it's cool that God has welcomed Abraham into the story. And even when he's talking to Isaac, he's saying, hey, this story of salvation is coming about because your dad, who you just lost, followed after me. Hmm. Like that's just kind of a cool tribute from God to the son about his father. It's really wonderful. Like you, you kind of hope that God would be able to say that to our kids someday. Like your things happened in the kingdom of heaven because your dad was faithful. Yeah, and even he's giving Isaac a game plan. Like, this sounds crazy to you, like, that all this is going to come through you, but you don't have to do anything crazy. Like, just do what your dad did. Like, how you saw him live, live like that. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah. He eventually got it right. Yeah, you know? yeah. He, he never gave up on the promise, and even when he stumbled, he got back up and followed mm-hmm. me again. Do that. Yeah. You know, he's a good model. And you look back and go, okay, if that's the model, I might be able to hang. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Make it happen. All right, so verse 6, it says, so Isaac settled in Gerar. Now, here's where it's like, okay, this is really on the nose. It says, when the men of this place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. So he does the same exact thing that his dad did in the same exact place with the same exact king. So this is God's sovereignty really, really intervening to drive a message home to Isaac. And it makes you wonder, like, did did Abraham never tell this story? Because remember, all this happens before Isaac's born. No, I wouldn't let that story be told. <laughs> what are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be kind of shit. But you got to imagine he would have heard this from somebody. I don't know. I think Abraham enough power to be like, hey, we don't talk about this. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, this would be a really shameful one to get out. Like, this is... And Sarah's probably not this leading is like with video. that story. Sarah's <laughs> not like, you want to know what took place, son? No, she's like, I don't want to <laughs> think about it either. This would be like your your fraternity days video getting out and leaking to your children, you know, that, that somebody has somewhere. Um yeah, I might, I might edit that out. People are like, what? What, what? video? <laughs> There's no video. There's, There's no video. Don't worry. Hypothetically. <laughs> yeah, Hypothetically. About Pastor Tom. 
I'm kidding. All right, so verse 6, he settles there. He's afraid to say that Sarah's his wife, so he does the whole she's my sister bit uh, because she's attractive. And it says, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, so he's there a long time, which is a little, little odd. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Well, that's not what it says. Like the the real translation there is that he's caressing. You know, they're, they're, they're having a lot of joy together. They're playing around, they're joking around. Um, oh, I just thought they just had this chemistry that you're just like, whoa, if that's brother, sister, that's weird. Because my logos does call it to flirt. Yeah, that's how it's defined. I feel like I've seen a translation that says caress. Is that not? Do you not find one that says that? Is your it's, NIV eighty four? It's NIV eighty four. There you it go. Had to be NIV eighty <laughs> four. <laughs> that's what it is. So yeah, one of the translations uses caress. So it's it's very flirtatious to say the least. Is is the idea here? So laughing, joking, chemistry, caressing, whatever. And so Abimelech called Isaac and said. Behold, she's your wife. How could you then say she's my sister? And you got to imagine if this is the same Abimelech of Abraham's time, he's going, dude, the last time Not this again. happened to me, your God came to me and told me he was going to kill me, you know, unless I <laughs> freed your dad Sarah. Did. Yeah, because of what your dad did. And Isaac's going, wait, what did my dad do? <laughs> yeah, I hope this is Abimelech the second. And his, he, he told the story to his son because he's like, hey, you need to watch out for yeah, these people. <laughs> But it, it's going to follow all the same patterns, which is is really pretty fascinating. Um, so he looks out the window, sees the the flirtatious, caressing, whatever, confronts, and he says, "Because I thought lest I die because of her." So that 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 impression is very <laughs> still seared on his heart. And Abimelech said, "What is this you've done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us." So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So in this situation, apparently Rebekah was not taken into a harem like Sarah was, but Isaac comes into town and basically puts her on the market by yeah. saying, she's my sister. So, um, but you do, one of the cool things that you see about Isaac and Rebecca is they really do. Like, it's the first time you see a couple where you the word love is used. They like each them. other. They're caressing. Like, it's an arranged marriage, but they're really digging huh. each other. They really love each other. Where Abraham and Sarah, you know, it's and maybe implied, but you don't see it. There's a lot of hurt that you see over their life. Jacob and Leah, you definitely don't see it. You know, he despises her. Where here again, you have Isaac, who's the the patriarch who prays, and Rebecca is the patri or the matriarch who prays, and they have a marriage that seems really affectionate. And even in the midst of this kind of like, hey, pretend like you're my sister, they're still they're sneaking around. Yeah, they're little teens. <laughs> that's a weird way to put it, but yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So now it now it reverts back, and we're dealing with the famine. So you see here that Isaac stumbles in one of the same ways that Abraham does. But here's where it diverts, and you're going to see Isaac's faithfulness where Abraham stumbled. So Abraham did all the same, you know, pretend you're my sister things. He does it twice, actually. But when Abraham faced the famine, he went down to Egypt because he didn't trust God to provide in the land. And again, what is famine? It's death. I don't believe that you're going to bring life from the ground. Death reigns, right? And so Abraham runs down to Egypt where you have the Nile, and it's pretty 
much more foolproof of a famine where Isaac is like, hey, there's a famine, and God comes to him and says, you stay put. I don't want you going down for Pharaoh. I want you to trust me, which is life and death. Like yep. you're basically saying, okay, God, like I could die by trusting you. You have to come through. I'm putting my life in your hands, but what has God just promised him? That his generation is going to survive. That's right. You're you're going to have seed that's going to save the world. So Isaac's looking at the promise, saying, "Okay, you've promised me that that it's you know generations and that you're going to be with me and bless me." And you know he's trusting in that promise to come, and so he stays put with his family that would have died with him had the famine continued. And does he have people at this point? Like you saw, Abraham had a pretty sure. solid. It was sure. almost like a city around him that he yeah. was caring for. Yeah, so three hundred eighteen people at least. When, yes. when they go, so after does the Isaac Solomons. have that kind of community at this point? Or sure, he would have inherited that. You know, uh-huh. it says that Abraham gave him everything he had, and then gifts to the other sons, the other seven sons. So he's inherited not only you know all the property, the flocks, the livestock, but the men servants and the maid servants. So is that some stress? Like. Mm-hmm. There's a famine in the land. People are like, you, that's hey, a lot you of see there's a famine in this land. Yeah, it's not like you just have to feed four mouths. Yeah, and it's it's not just that, but you got to worry about mutiny. You got to worry yeah. about your people running away and fleeing. And, you know, are they going to start slaughtering the livestock and flock that you do have out of fear of, of starvation? Like there's, this would have been a, this would have been a stressful time to be in charge. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, but here's what's crazy is it says, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Now that's wild. Like if you if you reap a crop 30-fold, it's a, like a banner year. So a hundredfold is over the top, like record year. And it said, the Lord blessed him and the man became rich and mm. gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And so what I want you to imagine is his his crops are blessed a hundredfold, but the implication is that this famine doesn't stop. So it's like Isaac in particular is being blessed as all the Philistines and the people of Gerar around him are not because he's getting outrageously wealthy. And then you read right up next, that he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So the implication is they're not getting wealthy. The famine's still there for him. And why is he getting so wealthy? Because they're coming to him saying, we have nothing. Will you sell us some of your crops? And so his, his livestock are gaining because people are coming to him saying, we need food, we need food, we need food. And in a sense, he becomes the Egypt to the Philistines where they're flocking to him to get provision. And so his wealth just increases wildly. And now they're like, okay, we're all getting poorer. This guy's getting outrageously wealthy at our expense. And so they begin to envy him. So that's where Joseph got the playbook, huh? Yeah, and in some sense, like, but but you see this, like, and here's another one of these messages where, quite frankly, it's very similar to what happened with Abraham and Lot. Here, you know, Abraham and Lot, uncle, nephew, get along great, massive amount of wealth comes along, and then they can't dwell together anymore, mm. and that's where this story's going. Just as a spoiler alert, spoiler. So. But what they do is they value the money more than they value the relationship. And so 
in the Old Testament, we look at this and we say, man, Isaac is so blessed. But if you take off your Old Testament hat and you put on gospel lenses here, if Jesus is in Isaac's situation, what happens in this story? Charging double. <laughs> You're right. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't take that out of context. Yeah. No. What is yeah. he doing to the poor that are starving? He's giving it to them. He's giving Not it taking away. Him. You know, he's not, he's not just sitting there getting wealthy with more and more. I mean, the language that's being used here about Isaac's wealth is like he was already wealthy. He'd already inherited a ton. People already looked at Abraham like, whoa, this guy's wealthy. Abraham is so wealthy that just his gifts seed kingdoms out of his sons. And so here comes Isaac, who's already inherited all of that wealth, and now he's getting more and more and more wealthy until he becomes very wealthy, like hint, hint. This is out-of-control wealth, and all of these people around him are envying him. And this is not the Bible. You know, the, Envy is bad. You know, It's the root of Marxism. It's evil. It's terrible. You shouldn't do that. But with great blessing comes great responsibility in the Scriptures. And so what are you? Are you that was always a line from Spider-Man. It, it was a with, line from Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> So I, I, he was smirked like, okay, at me. Uncle I, knew, I knew that's what you were thinking. <laughs> I knew you were going Spider-Man. And when it came out of my mouth, I was thinking Spider-Man. So, but anyway, that's true. And what Jesus would have done is he would have said, you know what, like, why build bigger barns? You know, that's kind of the idea. Like, okay, we got more crops. Great. We build bigger barns and then you die tomorrow and what have you gained? What he should have been doing is using that wealth, and I'm not to sit in judgment of Isaac, but I think the the New Testament implication would be clear that the great, the one who's greater than Isaac, the Savior, his seed that redeems all the nations. There's no way that Jesus would have sat on this and just gotten wealthier and wealthier and wealthier and allowed all of the people suffering around him to fall into envy, and so this is one of those things that the Bible. It really does kind of walk the tightrope because the capitalist says, make as much as you can. You know, the Darwinian capitalist, make as much as you can at the expense of everyone else and the strong survive and anyone who can't make it good, you know, the weak should die out and, and those who can't make it good, you know, let them, let them perish. And then you get to the other side with, you know, the, the far Marxist side that says, no, 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 no. You need to, to take away from the wealthy and, and make everything equal or all the equity stuff and, and just demolish private property. And the Bible comes and says, no, 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 no. You go and you be industrious and you make as much as you can and you, you do great. Yet, at the same time, the Bible comes with an ethic that does not allow those that are least fortunate to to will fall between the cracks. You know, it says you got to leave the margins of your field available for them to come and to harvest if their fields don't have anything to harvest. It's so it does both. The Bible very much protects private property. It's all over the place. So it, the Bible affirms capitalism, but it will not go so far as as kind of the crazy really extremes of libertarian Darwinian capitalism. It will not allow for that. Like you do take care of the marginalized, even in policy, but you don't go to the point where you incentivize people not to work. That is the equivalent of stealing in the Bible. It's just theft by laziness. So the Bible is brilliant at prescribing this. And here you see Isaac, who's going to error. He gets so blessed that he causes strife with his neighbors. So anyway, and that ends with it saying, so the Philistines envied him. 
Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And it's like, you know, it really is reading out of the newspaper because it's all the same struggles. You you go back through all the revolutions that have happened even, you know, in relatively modern history, and what is it? It usually comes when there's massive disparity between the haves and the have-nots, and the have-nots rebel, and they demand that the people in power, the people who have, are torn down. And, uh, you know, it's it, today we would call it the equity movement or Marxism or whatever, and it's all driven by by envy. And here you see what they're doing is they're going and they're sabotaging Isaac's money-making machines. They're, they're plugging up all the wells so that Isaac can't become any more wealthy. They're doing this out of resentment and hatred and envy, which is not good either. And so it says, and Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. You are much mightier than we. And so because he has been so outrageously wealthy and has not stewarded that well, he's caused these people to hate him. And now, again, because God has blessed a patriarch, there's a division where Lot got sent away. Now Isaac is being sent away from the Philistines. What do you think of that? Makes sense. I'm a Bimelech. I'm like, get out. And the time before, (laughs) Abraham was like, yeah, time for you to go. So you can understand yeah so this this if you remember going back to genesis chapter 12 we talked about this and when we did that episode but this is another reminder that when you have famine the bible uses these almost like object lessons that when the famine comes when the hardship comes when you're wondering how in the world is god going to provide in this circumstance because everywhere i look i only see famine if god has called you somewhere authentically called you to somewhere, he will take care of you where he's called you. And so when Abraham fails to trust God in the famine, he ends up with all kinds of disaster happening when he goes to Egypt. Then Isaac has the famine, and God's very specific. Like, this is this is the lesson we're to learn. Do not go down to Egypt. And what is, you know, Egypt is the land of death. It's the land of bondage. The king of Egypt is marked by the serpent. We're not to miss that. And so it's like, you know, you can run away from God's calling and go to something that looks really tempting where the serpent king is like, hey, I can take care of you down here. And it's really tempting to run off and go back down to Egypt. But what God is saying is when, when Isaac obeys God, even when he can't make sense of the circumstances, but faith brings him to obedience, God will take care of his people when they're obedient to the call. Don't run down to Egypt. And so like, how would I apply that to my modern life? Like there's so many times where I look back at my former life, you know, you get into a rough season of ministry. This used to happen to me a lot more than it does now, but where you look back and you say, man, I remember the days when, you know, I could, I could self-medicate this. I could go to the bar and here lately, it's just not fun. Or I could go back to making money the way I used to do. And I wasn't, you know, encumbered by ethics and, or whatever the case might be, that's all running back to Egypt. It's, oh my gosh, I don't see how God's going to make a way. I don't see how he's going to get, I want to go back to my old life before Christ called me to this radical obedience and faith and generosity and all of the the things that God calls me to. There's times where the flesh just wants to shrug that off and go back to the way you were before Jesus. That's running to Egypt. That's running to Egypt. If God has called you to something and obedience, he's certainly called you to, he will take care of you 
where he's called you to be. So do not run back to Egypt. That's the the main message here. So by the way, like I I hope because I'm I'm about I'm I creep to the edge of where the Bible allows you to be libertarian and capitalist. I want everyone to know that. But where I my flesh would go complete like anarcho capitalist, like ready to just like shrug off everybody else, you know, go fend for yourself. That's where my flesh would go. The scriptures say no. There's an op, there's a there's a corporate obligation for people to take care of each other, especially those that can't. Now, I think in our society today, that gets abused, and now envy. It, both sides, frankly, often abuse it. We have we have people of means that don't take care of those that are in desperate trouble and in need. We could be we could stand to be more charitable and mm-hmm. help out the less fortunate, but at the same time. The safety nets are utterly abused today. Um, so we have both sides that are corrupt because the people, virtue in our country has declined significantly. You know, you can't have liberty. You can't have good capitalism. You can't have good communism if people are corrupt. You need revival. Yeah, what did Plato or Socrates or some of, you know, the city's the soul writ large? That's it. So we're just... Run around in a nation that's just made up of sinful people, so you see the effects of that. Yeah, I mean, if you and so what what he's saying, where they're the city, you know, the soul or the city is the soul writ large, or vice versa, for that matter. If you look at our country, that boils down to the nature of the average soul in our yeah. country, which is really discouraging, honestly. Like our country is a dumpster fire right now, <laughs> which I think most people listening would agree with. I don't want to get on my soapbox. But like this is where, and so I say that almost with some good news too, because if the culture is so utterly broken and it's so desperately wrong, how much more does a Christian witness that lives virtuously, Mm -hmm. that lives generously, that lives not according to the things of this world, that, that defends truth and grace, how much more do you stand out now that it is a dumpster fire? It gives opportunity for witness and evangelism even more. And so now more than ever, it's important for the Christian to be a light in a dark place. You know, it, it really is. Yeah, because we see Abimelech does not come to faith because Isaac is not extravagantly generous when he doesn't need to be. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, you can, and this is, this does not happen, but you can imagine if Isaac does have a christian ethic of giving and he doesn't take advantage of these people imagine abimelech's thought of just why would you do this mm-hmm. yeah again True. that answers all the questions for him like man that's a straight shot to well this is generous god that i believe in yeah and but again we see because of the actions of Isaac that's a great and, point and because of the actions of abraham if this is abimelech the second or the same guy we're working with like their actions did not show to Abimelech at that time that they serve a God who is generous or caring or loving. And so Abimelech walks away without knowing. Yeah. If you had the promise that Isaac had, that the Lord's going to take care of you no matter what, think about how generous you could be and not have to worry about starving to death. I mean, he had a much different promise than we have. Like you're, you're going to survive. Your children are going to survive. That makes him freed up to be wildly generous. And like you're just talking about, what if he just said to Abimelech, I can be so freely generous to you and your people because my God will take care of my needs. He's promised. And so here, 
I'm going to feed your people. And yeah, I'm not going to do it for free. Like I'm going to take care of my people and you know, there's commerce here, but I'm not going to exploit you and become outrageously. Well, I'm going to help you imagine how much more that could have won the Philistines and they wouldn't have been plugging up as well as I can promise you that. And Isaac wasn't rubbing two pennies together. If you're saying a hundred fold, obviously that's miraculous. Yeah. Call. Yeah. Like totally. He could be very generous with a lot. It's not like he's being generous with a poverty level. Yeah. He's just being called to be generous with yeah. a magnitude of wealth. Yeah. And so at the end of this, you're going to see Abimelech recognizes that there's power behind Isaac's God. Yeah. You know, he, he wants to be associated with that God, but it's associated out of a sense of fear mm-hmm. rather than, my goodness, this God is gracious and he has a heart to bless the nations. Like, I mean, the, the whole purpose statement of the patriarchs that he's come to Abraham and Isaac is, I'm going to bring you a descendant that is going to bless all the nations on the face of the earth. Like, hint, hint, maybe you should be blessing the nations, Isaac. Maybe Just maybe. in case it's you. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> really? Just roll the dice. Yeah, but he he fails here. And so Isaac, as, as wonderful as he is, is as much as I love, he drops the ball here. He just does. Um, so verse 17 so Isaac, I'm, when I when we get to heaven, like I feel like the, yeah, we've the been patriarchs are going to be lining up for us. I just thought about that. Like, I'm really man. glad in glory there will be no animosity. They'll be like, they'll be joyful to have talks with us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just so you guys know, we don't plan to go into this and get yeah, after them. Yeah, like it no. just happens. Well, the reason why we do it is not it's yes. not to tear down heroes because I really believe you need heroes. These guys have faith that make Will and I look like paupers. Like there's no doubt about that. But one of the one of the reasons why we want to show where they fail is to disabuse us of the notion that these guys are the ultimate heroes of the story. It's not. You know, God is dealing with flawed and complex people. And as we've said a million times, it's the faithfulness of God mm-hmm. that is the beautiful part of the story. He's dealing with people that are messes constantly, and that makes us say, oh, you know, <laughs> because if we if we try to put Abraham up on a pillar and say, okay, go be like that. God, it's slavery. But when you look at God's faithfulness to flawed people, that's beautiful. That makes me go, man, our God loves us and he puts up with us and he's patient to us and he's merciful and he's so gracious and just hangs on and works with us through our faults. Like that's the beauty of the gospel. And you see it so much in Genesis. So verse 17, so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isek, which means contention, because they're at war over this well, um, and it says, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So you're getting, you hear the Lot and Abraham echoes. So this whole chapter is walking through all these echoes of things that have already happened to Abraham and showing slight distinctions of how Isaac deals with it versus Abraham. And now you get these two cultures that are warring over the same territory, which if you're following on the track of, of Abraham and Lot, they're saying, okay, you go this way, I go this way, we should part ways to prevent conflict. Well, how is this one going to play out is the question. Um, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made 
uh, room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So from there, he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same. So Beersheba um, is really the southern tip of modern-day Israel. It's out in the Negev Desert. Gerar is even further down from that. So he goes up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And so again, this is another echo because when God first came to Abraham with the same promise, right? I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your offspring. There Abraham creates an altar. So you see a lot of this is saying, just as God was with Abraham, he's reaffirming this covenant with Isaac very specifically. And, and so when you read it, you can't miss that. It's very, very obvious. So now you get to verse 26, and now Abimelech and Isaac. This is where you know the chapter is going to come to a close. But it says, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, with Ahuzath, Ahuzath, Ahuzath. That sounds cool. That sounds cooler. That, that, that's definitely cooler. So when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, we're going to go with that. His advisor and Fecal, not no, how Fecal? We didn't Fecal. <laughs> we didn't want to do Fecal last Fecal last time because it was too close to Fecal. So <laughs> Fecal, we're going with the commander of his army, or Fecal, maybe no. What we're well, let's, we'll stick with Fecal. That's wrong, but we'll stick with it. Uh, Isaac said to them, so he's coming with a team, and he says, "Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you?" And they said, now here, so get this. They're not saying we want to be close to your God because of grace and kindness and everything else. They say, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact, which is the same exact thing that happens between Abraham and Abimelech. Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. Now let's go back to the original promise that God gives to Abraham, which I'm assuming probably made its way around. And God says, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. And so Abimelech is watching this in real time. Everybody who stands against Abraham, you know, plagues start breaking out and bad things happen. But everybody who is aligned with Abraham or that Abraham chooses to bless ends up being blessed. And so Abimelech's like, don't really like this Isaac guy, <laughs> but, but we need his God. And so let's align ourselves with him, even though he wasn't very charitable or kind to us in our land, we need a pact because we need the blessing of his God. And like, what an opportunity there, you know, like, can you, can you imagine if in ministry people were coming to our church and they were like, you know, we don't really like you, but we want to be friends with you so that we can have your God, you know, like, Today, it's it's usually the reverse where we're bending over backwards to be like, no, like us, and we'll introduce you to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Here, they're actually coming to him saying, we're willing to like you <laughs> to, to, to enter, enter relationship with you so that we can have your God. That would be pretty amazing. That would be wonderful if that started happening. Because the reality is that's that's the truth. The church is the ugly part of Christianity, Right. Yeah, more often than not, it's not Jesus. Jesus is is amazing. You don't have people saying, 
I don't want Christianity because that grace stuff is no good. Like, it's usually the church that has spoiled something in their mouth, or they don't want lordship, something like that. But anyway, so Isaac said, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me? And they said, we see that God is with you, so let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You're now blessed of the Lord. In other words, we see God blessing you. We recognize he's on your team. We want that blessing, so let's live at peace. So Isaac made them a feast. Hey, way to go, Isaac. This is good. A little hospitality. Love it, love it. And they ate and drank. In the morning, they arose early, exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So when Isaac was 40 years old, here's our left left um, That's Esau. Then why did I say that? I read it in my mind as Esau. I know. said Isaac. So verse 34, total left turn, says when Isaac was 40 years old. You said Isaac. I did it again. That's insane. You can't edit this out because people need to know that this is what we go through. Good grief. Verse 34, when Esau... Golly, was 40 years old. He took Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, or Barry. How do Barry? How would you say that? Barry. Barry. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah. Aaron. <laughs> Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So here, it's interesting. Um, you have Esau, who's you know the father's favorite, and yet he takes a couple of wives from the Hittites, and they make life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So you don't hear much about them going forward, but the daughters-in-law that Isaac and Rebekah have, there's some mm. conflict there. No bueno. Do you have anything to say about in-law feuds, Will? No. We would really like to hear about some in-law feuds, Will. We don't have any. I would gladly talk of, about them on the podcast. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Will is married to our senior pastor, Tom's daughter, Morgan. So in-law, in-law dirt is always appreciated. <laughs> Clean as a whistle. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll let it go. <laughs> so, but anyway, in this, in this point, like here you have Isaac, just getting back to what we've already said. You have Isaac who throws a feast for them, who shows hospitality, and even though he's like, you know, you've hated me. Like, what's going on here? At least at this point, they are willing to have peace. And there's there's a part of me that wonders, because here we're dealing with the, the Hittites and, you know, this particular part of the Hittite clan, it says, is associated with the Philistines, which is, you know, the Philistines are still a long way off from being coastal people. And it makes you wonder, like, what would have happened if... Isaac had said, no, I want, I want to welcome you into our covenant family. You know, what would have happened if he said, I'm going to, I'm going to use this extravagant wealth that God has given me to bring you in, to teach you our customs, to show you our God, like what, what would have happened differently in that region? Because as it stands, there's no tribe outside of this family that is even remotely ethical. Like 
when Moses is coming back and Joshua comes into the land, all the remaining tribes that they have to drive out are utterly wicked, like to the extremes. And it just makes you wonder, like, what if what if the seed would have been planted? You know, what if what if they had been drawn to the Lord? And you can't you yeah. can't know, and you can't know that that's not God's will. And obviously, it is God's sovereign will, but it does make you wonder what would have been different if. And it's a good reminder for us, even you know, our actions have generational consequences, at least even eternal consequences to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. So it is a weird mindset in this instantaneous age to think like. Oh no, the decisions I'm making today at 29 are going to affect me at 59. Yeah. And my decisions I make at 59 are, I'll be in a casket by the time this comes up yeah. next, but it'll affect Everett and her next generation. You know, like, no doubt. It is a weird thing to think about. I mean, people say you're going, you, you, you're going to be like your parents in a lot of ways that you, you know, swear, oh, I'll never do that. Oh my goodness. Like, down to the wording of things, I do the same things as my dad. Yeah, so so let me just walk through as we close chapter 26. These are all the things that happen in Isaac's life that also happen in Abraham's life because you see real similarities. Ready? God's going to come and make promises to him. You know, you're going to have many descendants. I'm going to bless the nations through you, all those promises. His wife suffers barrenness. God overcomes her barrenness. The firstborn son is going to be one who denies the faith. So you have Ishmael who goes wayward, and you have Esau that goes wayward. Um, You have the second-born son who inherits the promise, so Isaac for Abraham and Jacob for Isaac. His two sons are plagued by conflict. The land falls into a severe famine. His wealth grows exponentially. He betrays his wife to save his own life. Abimelech is going to extend mercy from him and then demand a covenant from him. And God, this is the the through line of everything, God always keeps his promise. God remains faithful. But where you, in the New Testament, just to close this out, like where you see all of this carried out by Jesus so much greater is even though he's righteous, Jesus in a sense goes to spiritual Egypt for us. Mm. You know, he suffers. He's the one who is thrown into the negative fate so that we can always be provided for in the spiritual Israel um, and the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And we have an inheritance that can't be shaken because he took the negative fate. And, you know, like, like you watch Abraham get outrageously wealthy and it causes conflict and drives people away. And you watch Isaac get outrageously wealthy, and it drives people away. Uh, maybe this is where we close, and it's just a good thing to reflect on. In Second Corinthians uh, chapter eight, verse nine, it says this: "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty," might become rich. That's just amazing that our God would do that for us. So when you think of Abraham and you think of Isaac, what would Jesus have done? Well, those those Hittites would have been very excited to have a neighbor like Jesus. Mm. And it would have pointed to his father, who's outrageously generous to his people. And that, you know, because we have received such mercy and we have received such overwhelming grace and kindness and generosity from our God, what does that do? 
it should, by the power of the Spirit, enable and animate us to do the very same thing to our neighbors who are going through famine. Because let me tell you, you look out in this world, there's a lot of famine. Hmm. They could use a share of the inheritance that we have. Amen? Amen. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today as we continue our walk through the patriarchs, closing up Genesis chapter 26. Uh, Next week, we're going to be jumping into Genesis 27, and already Isaac's like his his story starting going to be coming to a close already as he gives the blessings and we're on to Jacob and Esau and it gets really <laughs> it gets really crazy with them. So I hope you will join us. I hope you were blessed uh, by today's episode. Um, we really appreciate you tuning in and uh, it's a great blessing to be able to do this together with you and just it's fun to talk about God's word. Have a great week. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. Thank you.